the rap response nurse, usually my thing is like, all right, I got to mix up the leave a fed. I got to get the ICU right. bed going, like all the things that I would do. And I look over at the son and I see just tears rolling up in his eyes as he's watching his mother decline in front of him. And so I just put my hand on his shoulder and I was like, it seemed like this is really hard for you to watch your mom getting sicker. And I just said, have you guys had a chance to talk about like what she would want if her body was declining? What would she want in the end? Would she want us to continue trying to fix all these things? Is she, she is septic right now. Would she want us mm-hmm. to be aggressive with antibiotics and blood draws to try to treat this infection? Or, or would she want to be made comfortable? Because we want to honor whatever it is that you feel like she would want. And he starts crying. He says to me, she just told me yesterday that she's tired. And it's been a hard year for her. I think she's tired. And I think she would just want to be made comfortable. And so I looked around the room and I said, then we will shift our goals to match whatever you feel like she would want. And you could just see the sigh of relief over his face. Like, like yes, that's what she would want. I said, okay, team. So we're going to shift here. Rather than starting vasopressors right now, we're going to make her comfortable. Hey there. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. This week's episode is a little different. Today, I'll be sharing with you some snippets from one of our Friday meetups from the Rapid Response Academy. I really love teaching in this community because unlike my podcast, I get to actually interact with those listening and answer questions live and in the moment. You know, I entitled my membership Rapid Response Academy, The Heart and Science of Caring for the Sick, because to me, in order to thrive as a nurse, you have to be good at both. So, in the community, we talk about both the pathophysiology and pharmacology and all the nerdy, sciencey things that you know I love. But we also dive into the softer skills of navigating difficult conversations and leadership and advocacy and how to manage yourself and all of the mindsets that help us be successful as nurses. So we alternate and every other Friday we talk about either a science of nursing topic or the heart of nursing. This week is a heart of nursing topic, and I invited my friend AJ, a hospice nurse, to join me and share his expertise in the realm of navigating difficult discussions with patients and families. I won't share the whole session, but there are a few nuggets that I want you to be able to hear because it answers questions that I get a lot in my DMs, so I know it's important stuff to walk through. So without further ado, let me drop you right into our Friday meetup with my buddy, AJ. We're talking about goals of care today how to navigate those difficult discussions with family, how to 
work with challenging family dynamics, how to get people through that discussion, some of the legal and ethical and moral challenges that you face, what the role of the hospice nurse in the situation. So lots of things that I was so excited for you guys to hear from AJ. So let's just get started. AJ, will you just introduce yourself, your background, and tell us why you got into hospice nurse. That's a big change to go from like saving lives in the ICU to hospice. So tell us all about it. My name's AJ, uh, AJ Carter. I currently, I work for a local nonprofit hospice. My past nursing life before before all of that had been exclusively ICU, started there as a new grad, met Sarah along the way. She's fantastic. I think really what led me to hospice is that I realized, I realized I was really good at having some of these conversations and I love connecting to people. So the first question that I got from the Rapid Response Academy community members was, how do you start the discussion about goals of care? Like, usually the provider is saying, here's what's next, here's what's medically next, here's the next intervention to do. But as the nurse, as a patient advocate, how do you begin that conversation for a patient who it's looking like this is not recoverable? And as you'll hear, AJ did a really good job explaining how he approaches this topic in a way that is not judgmental or persuasive or condescending. It's really just him wanting to walk patients and families through the discussion, not trying to get them to go with him in a certain direction, but just be with them on their own journey. I might go in there and introduce myself to the family, take kind of assess the situation, review what's going on. and then just talk to them. And I really like to just like start laying out the facts. I start to identify all of the different interventions that we're currently doing. And then I start to look at what's the next. Like when we're doing all these things, if we still reach that ending, what are we going to do beyond this? Can we do anything beyond this? So like laying out, here's the current state of your loved one's health. Exactly. And then here's all the things that we're doing to maintain their life. <laughs> right. Ventilator, vasopressors, whatever all the things are. And then here's the current goals right. that we're trying to achieve. Okay. We're already doing the work of their, say, their heart, their lungs, their kidneys, yet they continue to fail. I really like to throw out there, do you think it's time that we consider what their ending is going to look like and what what a good ending to the story might look like. I think a lot of it is probably just being really vulnerable and being willing to go out there. And I'll say that I have I've had a lot more success that way than failures. I think a big part of going into that conversation period is kind of removing your own opinions or your own thoughts. From that, I meet nurses who do so well and they have these conversations that I've like coached them to have. And then they say they they still just want to keep going. And I'm like, well, you know, that's their decision at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that really helps to connect you and instill trust when you're speaking to that patient or family is, you know, it's an option. Right. Just an option. Whatever your choice may be, I'll still support you. I'll still be here for you. Yeah. So and I'll say things like, my job as your nurse is to honor whatever your wishes are, exactly. whatever your mom's wishes are, whatever that is, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to fight for that thing, whatever their wishes. And so just know going into this, I have no 
desire to sway you towards anything. I care so much about you. I need you to know, here's what we expect to happen if we do this. Here's your option for this. Here's another option over here. I mean, don't give them seven options, but (laughs) kind of like making it very clear that my intention is to honor you, not to sway you towards any particular thing. Another thing AJ talked about was the importance of having the ability to read the room. So like when you walk in the room, how you approach the circumstance, how you begin the conversation, your tone, your body language should adjust based on how everyone else in the room is. If they are very uptight and tense, you're going to lead with establishing trust and rapport, maybe just some education. But if they're much more lighthearted, then you can even use jokes are appropriate. But again, knowing what's appropriate and what's not and how to bond with the family, that should play into how you start this discussion. It's not like a one-size-fits-all here's the script you're going to use (laughs) whenever you start talking to families about goals of care. You really have to be aware of what the dynamics are before you ever enter the room. And then also take a read on how the different people are whenever you arrive. You could have the perfect scripted out summary of the patient's plan, background, all the things, but you can't just come in there with your spiel and not read the room, right? So like as you're talking, you're feeling out, okay, how's grandma? All right, how's her son and how's the sister? Like everyone's going to come with different responses to what you're saying. And so we're like, oh, yes, we definitely don't want to do that. And the other person's like, oh, my gosh, yes, we're definitely going to do that. (laughs) You have to read the room and be prepared to address everyone's facial expressions, body language. Right. right? I think that's where the heart of nursing really comes in. (laughs) I was that's actually exactly what that made me think is that um, like as a nurse, I'm going to go into that situation. I want to introduce myself to everyone in the room, ask who they are and what their relationship is and if we can kind of confer together. So come in, you read the room, you lay it all out. Here's what we've been doing so far and here's how it's going. And here's what we could keep doing and here's what we expect to happen if we do those things. Okay. Are there any phrases that you like to use specifically that are very clear, but very compassionate? Like I've heard some not so good phrases. We can talk about those too, but like what are ones that you like to use that you feel like have been successful or they've been well received by family members? I think that one of the phrases that I I stole it from someone else. Like great nurses like identify things that other people do really well mm-hmm. and like like steal those. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard someone give this beautiful goals of care discussion. And it was something like, you know, we are doing all of these interventions. We are, we're doing the work of her heart by giving her vasopressors and these interventions. We are doing the work of her lungs with the ventilator. We're starting to do the work of her kidneys with the CRT or dialysis. And yet she still continues to fail do you think maybe it's time to talk about what the ending is going to look like What and what a good ending would mean for them? That's good. And, and I think I've already dropped that once this session, but that's one of my favorites. Yeah, Just lay one. it out there. I heard a doctor say once, and I use this sometimes too, is to lay it out just like that. And they'll say, and each of those things is a big hurdle to overcome. You know, if the heart is not squeezing effectively, that's one thing to overcome towards recovery. But now if the lungs are also not able to oxygenate, that's another big hurdle to overcome to recover. But now the kidneys are also not really functioning. So that's 
that's three large hurdles for someone to overcome towards recovery. And I fear that their body is not going to be able to overcome all three of those things. And now we're facing the liver or now we're having some, right. whatever the thing is, like the hurdle to overcome or the, the challenge or the, the healing to go through. Like that's, those are very hard things to overcome when you have, you lay them all out. You know, now we have the heart, now we have the lungs and the kidney, whatever other things are. Right. And we have sepsis on top of this. We have infection to overcome. We have whatever it is. Just make it known too that you're you're on their side and regardless of decisions they are making for their loved one that we support it. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that maybe a couple times, right? Saying it in your intro, saying it midway through, saying when they ask questions, just so they can hear very clearly that you're not trying to like I mean, I've had people think that we're trying to like get the bed. Yeah. We're trying to get them out of here because we need the bed. So just making it very clear that that's not our goal at all. It's just because we care so much because I care for your love. And we're good nurses. So we're here to advocate for what the patient or the family on the patient's behalf is choosing. So we talked a little more about some phrases that you can say that usually are well received by the family. And then we talked about some phrases or some approaches that maybe aren't so well received. When I told them the family would really just like to have another day to discuss amongst themselves, and they've identified very clearly to me several times that they they really don't want to make a decision today. And the response was, well, we're going to make them make a decision today. And I heard that, and I thought, this is going to be a disaster. So I said, well, you know, I'm hospice. Would you like me to come with you to help participate in that goals of care meeting? And she's like, fine, Sure. And it was, it was very talking way over their head about, you know, terminology that this family just didn't understand, was way too emotional to even begin to pretend to understand. And as an ICU nurse, you know, I thought, oh, wow, that was a really good description of exactly what's going on with this patient. But this poor family just didn't understand. So I kind of had to interrupt there. I heard some other ones, and it's cringe saying them out loud. I heard a doc say, would you like us to stop trying? I was like, mm. oh, that's, of course, no one's going to say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and stop now. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say, would you like to stop trying? How would you rephrase that instead of, would you like us to, let's do that. I'll say the bad when you rephrase, rephrase it. it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Would you like us to stop trying? How would you rephrase that instead? We've identified that in spite of all of our interventions, their health continues to deteriorate. And it looks like the outcome is going to be their passing. Would you like to continue these efforts, even though they may make this patient very uncomfortable? Or would you like us to bring in hospice or begin to talk about ways that we can honor them at, at the end of their life and try to try to make them as comfortable as possible in the end? Way better. Okay, let's do another one. Heard a nurse whose explanation of it was, what is going to happen is someone's going to come in and sign you up for hospice, and then they're going to start taking things away. And this was someone who was advocating for hospice. And I said to myself, oh, oh no, oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, I would say that's not the best way. So how would you reword that one? I would say I probably just wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> I like to make sure people are really aware of what's going on. So I'll say, I'll explain those things instead of just, we're going to start taking things away. I'm going to say it's very uncomfortable to be intubated. So we are going to medicate them so that their air hunger is managed. And then we'll remove that when, Mm -hmm. as the symptoms arise, we'll continue to take care of the symptoms with medicines like morphine, like Ativan. So explaining what we're going to be doing rather than we're just going to stop. 
Always explain. <laughs> Always explain. Hey, guys. I just wanted to take a quick break to talk about something that I think is really important, and that is getting certified in your nursing specialty. Not because having the extra letters behind your name make you a better nurse, but because taking the time to deep dive into all that you need to know for your specialty, putting in the study hours, and dedicating yourself to mastering what your patients need you to know how to manage them best, that, the prep for the exam, is what will make you a better nurse. So whatever specialty you are currently working in, go study for that certification exam. And if you're a critical care nurse, I have something that will help you pass your CCRN. My friend Nick McGowan has an excellent online self-paced CCRN prep course called Critical Care Academy. It is so thorough and he has broken down everything you need to know into little bite-sized digestible content that he calls micro-learning. Let me tell you, the CCRN is the hardest test I've taken in my entire life. You don't want to go it alone. You want to take this course to ensure that you know your stuff before sitting for the exam. If you'd like to check out his course, you can find it at ccrnacademy.com. And great news, just for being a rapid response RN podcast listener, you get 10% off the cost of the course by using the coupon code RAPID10 at checkout. So if you've ever considered getting your CCRN, do it and let Critical Care Academy help make sure that you will pass. I'll put the link and coupon code in the show notes. So then we talked a little bit about that crossroads that patients and families find themselves at, where they've made the decision to be DNR, but then what? Because DNR doesn't mean don't treat. It just means don't resuscitate. So what about when you're DNR, but none of the treatments are working? So patient's 94 years old, comes to the hospital for a fall, turns out she has a UTI, Oh. And now she's getting septic. Right. And like rather quickly, right? So now she's tachycardic, she's hypotensive, she's really febrile. They put a Foley in, it's like just thick eggnog looking stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's not good. I know that she's going down the path towards septic shock or that she's almost already there. And the family had just come to the decision that morning to make her a DNR. You know, she's 90 something years old and they're. They're just basically yeah. having this conversation. And I guess she'd been hospitalized like three times this year. This is now, you know, the fourth time hospitalized. Okay, so now she's a DNR. But that's as far as it went. No one had had any like goals of care discussion oh, no. about like what do we actually want for her. They just said, well, we know she wouldn't want CPR. We know she wouldn't want to be on the ventilator because she's she's old. And so, you know, the team's there. We're like, all right, well, even though she's a DNR, she's still going to need vasopressors and she's still going to like... You know, all the things, right? We still want to do all the things, but if her heart stops, just let it go. Yeah, and that is an option that they have. It is. It's totally an option they have. It's not... As a rapid response nurse, usually my thing is like, all right, I got to mix up the Levafed. I got to get the ICU bed going. Like, all the things that I would do. And I look over at the son, and I see just tears welling up in his eyes as he's watching his mother decline in front of him. And so I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I was like, you know, hey, sir, called him by his first name. It seems like this is really hard for you to watch your mom getting sicker. And I just said, have you guys had a chance to talk about like what she would want if her body was declining? Like what, what would she want in the end? It, would she want us to continue trying to fix all these things? She, she is septic right now. Would she want us mm-hmm. to be aggressive with antibiotics and blood draws to try to treat this infection? Or, or would she want to be made comfortable? Because we want to honor whatever it is that you feel like she would want. 
And he starts crying. He says to me, she just told me yesterday that she's tired. And, and it's been a hard year for her. I think she's tired. And I think she would just want to be made comfortable. She's been hospitalized all these times. She's tired of being poked and prodded. I think she just wants to be made comfortable. And so again, ICU team's there. Hospitals is there. Several nurses are there. And so I looked around the room and I said, well, if that's what you would want, then we will shift our goals to match whatever you feel like she would want. And you could just see the sigh relief over his face. Like, like yes, that's what she would want. I said, okay, team. So we're going to shift here. Rather than starting basal pressures right now, we're going to make her comfortable. Doctor, what would you like to order to make her more comfortable right now? And I pulled the chair next to him and I you know, pulled her hand out so he could sit next to his mom and I hold her hand. And you could just see like he was so tense watching all these people doing things. And he just kind of like relaxed. Got to sit next to his mom and hold her hand. He called the family. So even though she was a DNR, we shifted our goals from DNR to also now a palliative goal. I think that's absolutely a place to have that brave discussion. I hear a lot of people say they, you know, she's she's a fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that phrase a lot as well. I think families, I don't know, they they get some comfort in saying that about their loved one. Like they're a fighter. We want to we want to fight with them, right? And you can say like, yes, we want to fight with them too and honor whatever it is of that course. they are. So yeah, it's not giving up. It's just choosing a different goal. And sometimes it's reframing the fight. After talking about how to transition from the DNR discussion to the goals of care, like what are we actually going to do once we make the decision to be DNR? How aggressive are we going to be having that brave conversation, as AJ calls it? So after you've had that discussion, how do you navigate this whenever the family dynamics are difficult? Whenever maybe the family doesn't even agree with each other about what, quote, should be done. It's a difficult one. If the patient's unable to make their own decision, we have kind of a list, a protocol of who is next. What is the hierarchy there? The hierarchy would be spouse, adult children, then parents. Then I believe it shifts to any other family members or interested parties. Mm -hmm. Some people don't have families, but they might have a neighbor who's been in touch with them forever. We'll go there. Okay, gotcha. So say there's no spouse or the spouse is incapacitated in some way. And now you have adult children, but there's three of them and they all want different things. They all want different things. With children, you have to get a majority, the majority vote for kids. If there's three of them, two of them have to be agreeable to hospice or, you know, end of life care. And it's, I hate that. Mm -hmm. It's really messy. Family members who have different different opinions. End of life, grief makes us so ugly. I think one of the things that's worse than grief after a loss is the anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I meet some people who do some really interesting things with their grief. And I just have to remember, grief makes us ugly. It makes us not who we are. When those family feuds and disagreements and things come out, I just try to have a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. This might be the only time these yeah. siblings have ever come together. I think a lot of our job is kind of sitting people down and just trying to navigate and say, hey, look, you've both individually identified this is what you this is what you feel that your mom would want. You know, we can go back to hating each other tomorrow, but can we can we come together from home? So up until this point we've talked a lot about having these conversations with patients or family members who have been in the hospital for a little bit. 
But then we got some really good questions from some of the ER nurses that are in the Rapid Response Academy community membership. The first one was, what about when you have to make a phone call to a family member to inform them for the first time that their loved one is critically ill and probably not going to make it? Well, as an ER nurse myself, I've had to make, unfortunately, a lot of those phone calls. And here's how I do it. Hello, my name is Sarah. I'm a nurse from Bubba Hospital. I'm calling in regards to your mom, Jan. Are you in a safe place to take this phone call? And they'll say, yeah, of course they am. Like, are, are you driving? If you are, I'd love for you to pull over just so we can talk. Or, you know, whatever it is, make sure, are you in a safe place to receive this phone call? And they say, yes, okay. So then I start talking. And I just lay it all out. Your loved one came into the ER in cardiac arrest or in septic shock. I mean, I, I use the the appropriate words. I'm just going to say they came in really sick. Like they came in with this diagnosis or this challenge we're overcoming. We've done, like he said, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. There is no decision right now that we're aware of as to what their wishes would be if they came to the end of their life. We are currently doing all of the things that are needed to sustain their life. Have you ever had a chance to talk with your mom about what their wishes would be if it got to this point? And if they say, no, I never had, okay, then I know we're going to have more conversation to have. But if they say, no, we have that conversation, she does not want to be on a ventilator. But definitely always starting with safety, laying it all out from the very beginning. And I, I don't say, what would you like us to do? Yeah. I say, have you had conversations about what she would want? Because we want to honor that as her medical care team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are hard conversations to be had. And to be honest, you had said me earlier, AJ, you said having the brave conversation. Yes. I do think it is more brave to have to, okay, I'm going to face this very emotionally heavy interaction rather than just, I'm going to keep doing all the tasks. Task, task, right. task, task, task. I can do tasks. That's not as emotionally heavy as having to face head on a sad family, a grieving family, emotional family, a distraught family, an arguing family. Like, that is much more brave to face right. than just the challenge of caring for a critical patient. I can't agree with that more. Like you said, you tell them directly, you tell them how sick they are, you say what options we have. And that is the far braver thing to do than to try to sugarcoat it, mask the truth, or mm-hmm. dance around it and continue to task. Another great question that was asked was, what about that moment when you bring the family back for the first time? When the last time they saw their loved one, they were well, and now they are intubated on the ventilator, vasopressors, tubes in every orifice, you know, the classic picture of a critically ill patient, and this family is probably unprepared. How can you prepare the family for seeing such a sight? I think I do the same thing with families that I do with my toddler. Like, before we go somewhere new, I tell them, now we're going to be going to... I don't know, wherever the place is. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get explaining what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's not so like, oh my gosh, and scary. So same thing with the family. So would you like to go back and visit your dad? Like, oh yes, yes, as soon as we can. Okay, before I take you back there, I just want to prepare you for what you're going to see because it can be very overwhelming to see someone you love attached to so much medical support. So I just want you to know there's going to be a tube in their throat. They're on the ventilator they're unable to talk because there's the tube to their vocal cords. You can talk to them. They may be able to hear you. I don't know. But we were seeing they're like, dad, wake up. Dad, tell me, are you okay? I'm like, oh, okay. They can't, they can't talk. Um, so just prepare. There's going to be a tube in their throat. We have um, a monitor attached. You may hear some beeping from that. There's several medications going to their IV to help their heart squeeze more effectively. So there's going to be a lot that you're going to see. 
So I'm going to take you back there, but I'll be here with you. And if other questions come up, I'm happy to answer them and be prepared. They're going to ask the same question multiple times. They are. It's not because they're not intelligent. It's because grief and that shock, like they can't retain anything you're telling them. I I remember I was in a car accident when I was 17 Uh and my grandma, who's a nurse, who's like super smart. She comes in to see me. She's just so distraught because, you know, her granddaughter's in this car accident, trauma alerted, all the things. And I heard my grandma ask the doctors the same questions three times. I'm like, my grandma is so smart. I know she heard what they just said. But it's like she, they told her the answer and it's like she, it didn't go in. So just be prepared for answering the same thing multiple times. But yeah, I like to give them like a paint the picture of what you're going to see. But let them know if you have questions though, I'm going to be here with you. I'm happy to answer your questions. So yeah, a preparation before you walk in, before you just pull back the curtains, like, ah! right, be ready, be ready. I think that's honestly like a really good way to paint that picture, like with a toddler. And I don't know, I think that grief and that fear and that shock with our loved ones might kind of take us back to that primal place. So yeah. maybe we could just think of, you know, we're all somebody's kids. Yeah, that's good. So just be with them, be brave with them. This conversation with AJ and myself and all the members from the Rapid Response Academy community went on for about an hour. And that's what I love about the community is the Friday live teachings where it's not just me talking to a microphone. It's actually like a whole group of people interacting together and sharing stories and experiences. And I can actually answer people's concerns live and in the moment. But the last thing I want to leave you with is this, where we talked about when the patient is incapacitated and no longer able to interact with us. Then our goals kind of shift from being not only the nurse to the patient, but now caring for the family as well. And there's some things that we can do that help facilitate the family's grieving process. It can be so awkward for people to talk about hard things, but as nurses, we can help guide families through this really difficult experience through the things that we say. So here's some ideas. I met your loved one when they were critically ill. I don't don't know what they're like. Tell me what they're like and give them a minute to kind of express whatever that thing is, you know? And I'll even say, I don't know if they can hear us right now, but they, they maybe could. So you're welcome to talk with them. You're welcome to tell them anything you want them to know. Because a lot of people do have something they they wish they would have told mom. They wish they could have told their dad. They wish they could have told their husband before they pass. So I tell the family, We don't know if they can hear or not, but just know you're welcome to talk with them. Even though they can't respond to you, you're welcome to share with them anything you want them to know. That gives people some solace and comfort. And that is exactly what I would do. If you're in an ICU room, for example, or an ER with a bunch of sad people who aren't really sure what comes next... Ask them questions, give them prompts. You know, I I, I tend to start with, you know, what, what did they do for work? Have they lived in Florida or wherever their whole lives? Like, oh, what brought them here? And then we've got a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then we start to learn more about this person. All right, guys. Well, that's it for today's episode. In the membership, we talked a lot more about the nitty gritty of DNRs and the legal aspects of them and some of the intricacies of the ethical and legal dilemmas that we find ourselves in. But my hope is that hearing these parts of the discussion, that it will empower you to be brave enough to have difficult conversations with patients and their loved ones. And you'll be reminded what a privilege it is to walk with families through these end-of-life experiences. This is the heart of nursing. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, 
then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN.